Did you want me to do the introduction? <laughs> no, just let me pull myself together. Okay. Okay. Hi. What is the intersectionality we're talking about today? Oh, f hi. Can you stop looking at your freaking Instagram feed? We hi, my name's Violet, and I am doing a project on intersectionality, specifically my intersectionality. And I am here with my sister Wilds to talk about what it was like growing up on a small island that's predominantly white while being biracial and a woman. Okay, to start it off, we're going to talk about the first times we realized that we weren't white in this predominantly white community. Okay, so what was the first time that you ever remember realizing that you weren't just white? Um, you know, honestly... I feel like because we're so racially like ambiguous um, and definitely white passing in some cases, not necessarily in this community um, because this community is just like so white, but in other <laughs> situations we're white passing. So I think the first time for me that I realized that I wasn't white or that like other people were realizing I wasn't white had a lot to do with my name, our last name, Ho, which is not a Caucasian name um and I remember in elementary school older kids and kids in my own grade pointing out to me that my name was different because obviously the English word ho is not the same as the Chinese word ho and um it's an incredibly common name all across Asia and Vietnam South Korea and China but um it's not as common in this very small town so I think having that brought to my attention that that was a strange name to have and why did I have that name was when I was like realized that I was different in that way yeah I agree that was definitely like one of the first times as well as like when I would tell someone my middle name and they would like be like Jen like J-E-N mm -hmm. I'd be like no Z-H-E-N and they would be like so sure that I was wrong because I was so little yeah but I was so sure that I was right and that they were wrong and I would just get so mad yeah um but yeah was there any other specific instances that you can remember um I mean I got the classic Asian eye jokes I think to a much lesser extent than fully ethnically Asian people get but there was definitely like some of that tossed around and I don't know I think that really like the biggest standout thing was um the name and then also if we were with we or just me before you were born like with my mom out in public our mom is white um and getting comments from people back when I guess it was more common to make comments such as like, oh, where did you like get your children? Implying that they were adopted. Yeah. Um, went out in public like without our dad. Um, and then that, that, that was definitely something where I was like, oh my God, like I'm, I look so different than her because like I'm not white. And like, I don't remember those myself. I remember my mom talking about it a lot yeah, same. and like bringing it up and people always asking her like, oh, you guys don't, you don't look anything like your kids, like blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, they must that be was a big one. Yeah. I also feel like the first time I ever started questioning it was probably, like, in middle school. Because before, I just kind of, like, ignored it, like, pretended it wasn't a thing. But when mm -hmm. I was in middle school and, like, everyone was getting on social media and posted the picture that was, like, just two white girls. Oh, yeah. And I literally just didn't know how to respond. So I just, like, 
ignore I don't it. know. I was just like, in my head, I really debated being like, I'm not just white, yeah. but I also didn't know if I wasn't. Like, I didn't know how to respond yeah. to that or what to tell people I was. Yeah, well, because it's uncomfortable because, like, it's kind of like we're not not white enough. Yeah, exactly. And we're not white enough. So it's a really strange, like, liminal in-between space that, like, we exist in. Yeah. And that kind of leads on to, like, us later on subconsciously using racial ambiguity to our benefits in any way possible. Mm -hmm. And for us both, I think that looked very different, like you said. Yeah. I think, like, um, for me, that was definitely, like, in early years of high school, and just, I guess, all throughout high school, it was very the whole notion of being exotic or different was so glamorized and like glorified because you were different therefore you were like beautiful and like this is not something that people of color experience across the board obviously let me just state that but I think like having being so like ambiguous in your race where you are not dark-skinned enough to scare people necessarily and if you are a female there's a lot of ways that it works to your benefit and like a strange like oh like you're exotic you're so beautiful like blah 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 and just kind of accepting that instead of seeing that as like an insult or a problematic thing to deal with like I would say now I feel much more insulted and like weird when somebody's like oh my god like you're so exotic and like yeah like because I feel like it's like letting us letting it slide like what I like like, I, I would much rather now choose to own, like, my Chinese-American, like, ethnicity than just let it slot pass by as, like, exoticness. Yeah. That makes sense. And I think for me, it was, like, really different because I obviously, like, all my friends pretty much are white. And I mm-hmm. would try and do the opposite where I would try and pass as just being white. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. that's what, like, I wanted to fit in with everyone else and everyone else's comments of, like when they would say something about me being part Chinese or being part Asian, I would be like, yeah, but I'm mostly white. Like, Mm -hmm. I would just try and pass it off because I almost felt pushed by the community I was surrounded by at in middle school and in high school Mm -hmm. and pretty much all over the island that I had to fit in the white category more than the Asian category. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally feel that too. And I feel like now more than before, I, I feel like... Um, like because we are predominantly white it's like it's hard because like I, I understand the privilege like the privilege it grants us being like so white but like the, we're still not completely white it goes back to the liminal space thing I was talking about before I guess kind of going off of what we were talking about before mm-hmm. I think something that has definitely at least come with age with you and for me it was really the pandemic when I had a lot of time to think and a lot of time to like observe Mm -hmm. what our dad had to say about things that was going on and like paying more attention to politics and stuff like that is when I finally like started to bear the burden Mm -hmm. of like knowledge and like almost like being really empathetic for people but also just like seeing how there's so much wrong with so many things and so many people really do not have a voice in it Mm -hmm. at all yeah Um, or do you mean do you mean like realizing the weight that someone's words carry based on their physical appearance 
Yes, exactly. So, like, realizing, like, that your words, unfortunately, in a lot of contexts, will, like, weigh less than, like, a white man's words or that exactly. a black yeah. person, yeah. And that just, like, it's a really big burden to carry, I guess, but it also... I feel like it gives you a lot more perspective, but I also feel like I don't necessarily have complete authority to talk on the subject because I'm such a small fraction of that Mm -hmm. compared to, like, so many other POC women. Yeah. Which is just, like, that's what's really mind-boggling to me is that if I feel this way so much, I'm just, like... Yeah, you can't even imagine... You can't imagine. Well, I can't imagine how, like, how much worse it can feel or how much heavier. Yeah, to just, like, be completely othered. Like, say something about... Like, give advice or tell someone that what they're doing might not be okay and then to respond like they'll take action and then them just blatantly ignore it yeah that's something that like we a personal experience we both experienced yeah this winter actually and that yeah that's what i was going to kind of lead into yeah it's like experiences that match that scenario and this Mm -hmm. scenario is definitely when Mm -hmm. it hit me the hardest whether it be between friends that I was talking to outside of this incident or the people that I was you mostly and partially me was actually in the incident with yeah you know that was really unbelievable to me but also so believable like I really don't feel like I expected any more out of um this particular like situation so just to like clarify it for some listeners we are referencing an interaction that we had a couple months ago with an individual who was doing something and still continues to do something that is culturally insensitive. Actually, quite frankly, it's cultural appropriation and it's also specifically cultural appropriation of Chinese language and culture. Um, This person has no connection to Chinese language or culture that we're aware of and they don't speak it or write it and they're totally appropriating it and it was something that like we felt felt and have been feeling for a while kind of like just weird about pretty yeah. uncomfortable about and so the situation happened where it was like brought to their attention and um we were met with the response of complete disrespect initially ignorance disrespect whatever you want to call it completely just like cat like we don't care what you have to say basically um that's all if you don't like what we're doing like bye basically and then later, later, meaning a couple hours later, met with like, a, oh, we will look into this and um, take action if we see yeah, necessary. Yeah, like we are understanding where you're Yeah, so there was from, kind like... of like a front of like, okay, like this is something that needs to be looked into more, like we'll do that. There was no looking into it more because this person continues to do what they're doing. Yeah, and, and it's just like, I don't know, I had friends who weren't necessarily defending them, but definitely playing the devil's advocate and... Obviously, sometimes when I'm mad, I have a hard time putting my feelings into words. And I just do not think that they completely saw where I was coming from. And that's when I was like, oh, wow, what I'm saying does not matter at all. No, that was like you're just getting mad for no reason, just because Mm -hmm. you can. But there's nothing for you to be mad about. You're just defending this person and mad that I... Or you're, they're they're complicit. They're yeah, complicit. exactly. And it's all like that was a huge wake up call for like, I mean, for me, like I'm kind of outside of it, but kind of involved with it because you're my sister. But like I'm not part of the high school community anymore. But it was like a huge realization of like, 
oh my god, these are the people that you've been going to school with? Yeah. And I cannot believe that, that this is the environment that you have to exist in. And then not just you, but all these other students of color, like, are existing with this, like, absolute, like, white toxicity that I just... And I also, want, like, want to highlight that it was written off as this person just being an island boy. Like, Which oh, is he's like, just an island boy. That's where boy. I feel like the intersectionality, it just, like... Yeah. It comes together where, like, being an island boy means that you can do all these things. Yeah. But then if you are a person of color who lives on this island who isn't completely whitewashed, you are just yeah. silenced. And yeah. that, like, has all come together because of living on this predominantly white island that, like, yeah. white boys can do whatever they want. They can want. do whatever they want. It was like, oh, he's an island boy. Like, this is really how you're going to treat an island boy, like, blah, blah. And I'm like, shouldn't we raise these island boys to be better? Like, than just, like, white, toxic yeah. me- like, men? Is that who you want them to be? Like, I'm sorry. And then also... Yeah, it was a really like disappointing and really disheartening to see that your words and my words as Chinese American people really meant nothing to them, even though they were using Chinese things from Chinese culture, and to see that just be completely disregarded um, with not a single care is just like so. It's disgusting. Oh, I was also gonna say that like we feel this way. But I also want to like acknowledge and make sure that it's like heard that I talk about this a lot with my friends and stuff. But like at the end of the day, as I've already mentioned, like you and I and people like us that have so much that are also so white, but yeah. also not yeah. white. Like have the privilege of being the, white, but also have Yeah, white. we have the privilege of being white passing enough in a lot of spaces where we are listened to more. And I think that this particular case wasn't a good example of that. But like there are times like when I was in college where like it's true that my voice held more than a black woman's voice on my campus and things like that and I've experienced that and like that's very real and I like the oppression that we feel at times is just like this tiny fraction of what really exists and I yeah. want to make sure that that's like because very, we're like, like in this clear. little utopia some people yeah. would call it like away from the other world exactly coming back to like the oh he's just an island boy yeah. like he hasn't experienced anything else in the world but like you could have that same argument for us, but we still know, like, yeah. where things are going wrong and, like, staying educated on these topics, on who to listen to. And, I mean, like, we stay educated on it because we have to, because we're yeah. not completely white men. And, like, I don't even know, like, yeah, no, you're right. Like, th- it's no excuse. Being an island boy is no excuse to operate in the way that this person and yeah. his affiliates do. And I think just, like, bringing this back a little bit it's just like being here on MDI and like feeling as outcast as we do is nothing compared to like when you would go visit Aunt Pauline in Mm -hmm. Boston and be surrounded by so many different people and just feel like you fit in in a different way yeah, Does that make sense? like if you go to like an urban Utah, yeah. like an urban area, like we are, like oh, this is actually something else I was gonna bring up. Like basically, what you were saying, if you go to an urban area, like I identify more as white. Yeah, exactly the same. But when I'm here at home, I identify more as not even at family reunions. I yeah. identify as more as white compared to all of our oh, definitely. other yeah. Chinese relatives, which is just like that's where I feel like growing up on this island, being who we are has had such an impact with, like, how 
we have to react to things and how we have to be around people Mm -hmm. because we have to like fend for ourselves almost yeah more yeah than we would have definitely more than we would have had to if we lived somewhere like boston yeah where we aren't the minority yeah it's it's also like the fact of it, it like what this all is also important to highlight is like the fact that we get to in a lot of cases choose our identity is like a huge privilege in itself and I think about that a lot when speaking on like like I have the insight and you have and other racially ambiguous people have the insight to both sides like I have the insight to what white privilege white guilt what that feels like and then I have the insight to being on the receiving end of white supremacy and what that feels like and to be able to have insight into both of those is a blessing and a curse mostly a blessing I think but you're able to like have so much more empathy so much more ability to like understand um than I think not all white people but a lot of white people yeah everything that we have talked about has been fueled by our intersectionality of Mm -hmm. being biracial growing up on a small island that's predominantly white and being a woman compared to what it would have been like if we lived somewhere else yeah i definitely think so because i think growing up here allowed us to experience like what it's like to feel like a minority and if we lived in a different place we would probably not feel as yeah because we would exactly not be the minority necessarily yeah so what you just said yeah (laughs) okay well i guess we're done okay do we need to do this a different day (laughs) no we have to do it